0: plan for the family of God. The problem comes when we don't understand how God's plan play out in a day-to-day basis in our day-to-day life. Just like uh, no one ever told us how to be a husband or a wife, or nobody taught us how to be a father or a son, uh, in the same way, sometimes we have different understandings of what it means to be a friend uh, or, or what it shouldn't be a friend. For that matter, you know, for some people, friendship is a synonym of support and companionship. But for other people, the the mere word of friendship, uh, it's linked to emotions of betrayal and hurt and mistrust. But we need to be reminded that the good things that God designed for our benefit are often corrupted by sin. And what we experience are twisted versions or fallen versions of something great that God has designed originally. So since Jesus has made all things new for his children, we're called to go back to the blueprints and to take advantage of the amazing benefits that God has placed around us within the church. So we're going to look at several scriptures here, but I want to begin by focusing our attention on David that young man who was shepherding his father's flock and while doing that insignificant task he was called by God to great things so you see we have a tendency to judge people by what they do we have a tendency to uh, judge them by uh, where they work their house uh, their cars the kind of clothes they're wearing And if they don't accommodate to our expectations of value, then we just push them down or push them on a different drawer. And you see, we forget that it was precisely while David was performing that banal task that God calls him and he was preparing him for the amazing role that God had in store for him. When David was in the field and he was facing a fierce lion, or he was fighting a bear, God was actually preparing him to face the problems that will come, and he was actually shaping his character. He was preparing him for the obstacles of life. So in 1 Samuel, uh, we meet a young man who loves the Lord, who loves His Word, who trusts in God's faithfulness and His promises. And even though this young man is not a man of war, he's not a soldier, he's not a trained soldier. He launches, he launches forward to defend the name of the Lord, trusting that God will glorify His name among all the nations and that the whole earth would be filled with God's glory. And we know the story of David and Goliath. We know that David killed the defiant giant who had the whole nation of Israel hidden in those trenches and shaking in fear. But obviously that victory would place uh, David on the public scene. And when when someone goes from anonymity to be under the spotlight, that puts that person in tremendous stress things can actually turn immediately to the worst. I mean, we have a tendency of floating about two inches above the ground and thinking that we're far better than what we really are. Now, in David's case, people were just talking about him all the time. Even comparing him to the king of Israel for crying out loud. They would make songs like, Saul killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So as you can imagine, Fame, recognition, all that pressure, can destroy a person completely. I remember in school when some of my classmates was appointed a class captain. They immediately will be you know, puffed up and with that sense of authoritarianism, demanding that people would respect them in a special way. In a way they never respected anyone before their appointment. It's hard not to see those changes when power and recognition comes to people. And what it can do to people that experiences that suddenly. David is at the edge of a very impressive cliff. A simple push would have ended his life just like that. His life, his calling. But God in his mercy gave him the present we should all have. A good friend. So let's read together 1st Samuel chapter 17. We'll go from verse 55 and on. So here now the Word of God. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he's talking about Goliath, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was neat to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul... "...took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the man of war." And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will just imprint in our hearts what you have for us today. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Once uh, David kills the giant, Saul asks of this young man, whose family is him from? Who is this guy? He doesn't tell us if he's asking out of curiosity because he doesn't know who he is or his family. Or, because, or, or if the king is asking because he wants to know about his family uh, in order to uh, fulfill what he promised that he would do to the guy or the champion and the family of the champions who defeat Goliath. Some people think that uh, even though David used to play the harp for Saul before. Because being the king and having so many people coming to him. He wouldn't pay attention to the servants. So that's why he wouldn't recognize David. Truth is we can only speculate why Saul is inquiring about David. But I think the author intention is clear. He's, want, he's wanting to show us that David is a nobody. Nobody. He's an unknown person. He's not a warrior. He's not a popular guy. Nobody knows who he is. So at the end of chapter 17, he says, if we were reading, look at that guy holding that giant's head. Nobody knows him. A complete stranger. And Bethlehem was a small town. Maybe a town like Agassiz, or even smaller back then. And this is yet another reference of of what I was hinting earlier. That God chooses the least expected people to glorify His name. But I love what happens next. Look at verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was neat to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So number one in your outline, friendship is not defined by the world. I hate to live in a time where... Homosexuality and homosexual speech is so immense that it has driven people to turn great amazing natural things and distort them with the very twisted and and, and and thinking trends. You know, did you know there's people who read this passage and they say, oh, this is talking about a homosexual relationship? Not at all. Not at all. This is what is called friendship, true and sincere friendship. It's a moment where Jonathan sees David and he sees someone passionate about the same things he is. It's another man like him with a true seal for God. A man who's not afraid of a good fight. Who's willing to put his life on the line to exalt the Lord of hosts. When you see another person with whom you share deep interests, your heart leaps of joy. Because you find someone that sees the things in the same level. Someone that you can trust, that you can live in communion with one another. God created us to live in communion, to have fellowship. The problem is the social burden of our culture. That has been imposed on us. And that makes everything crooked and twisted and weird. I remember when I was a kid. When I was a teenager. My pals and I used to hug each other. I mean we would go walking on the street. And, and we would put our arms around us on the shoulder. And nobody ever thought that it was a homosexual act. Or, 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 or thought anything weird about us. They knew we, we were friends. We were best friends. Or even girls, I remember, they used to, to walk on the streets holding hands. My, my sister and her friends would go to the beach and they would hold hands. And nobody thought they were lesbians or anything crazy like that. It was just a demonstration of friendship and trust. Companionship. When you truly identify with someone else because you see things in the same level. And you enrich one another's lives. Nowadays, even talking the way I am right now, it's a scandal. Like it was forbidden to have true friends. But you see, a true friend is so needed. The Bible says in Proverbs 17 that a friend loves at all times. And it's like a brother in times of adversity. And later on, you keep reading and it tells us that friends who are even closer, their own brothers and sisters. When Jonathan sees David, he's looking at someone like himself. Someone who sees things the way he does. Actually, a few chapters earlier, in chapter 14, Jonathan climbed a hill and with his own sword, he was uh, fighting himself and destroying an enemy garrison right there in the name of the Lord. Such was his victory. Such was his seal. That the enemy army was just fleeing away. After seeing this guy fighting with such passion. Listen to Jonathan's words on that occasion. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor. Come, let us go over the garrison of this uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. I mean... You're not talking about flipping a coin whether you buy a chocolate or a vanilla ice cream. You're getting yourself into a battle where you might get killed. You alone against 20 soldiers. And they're in control of the high ground, by the way. That's why when Jonathan sees David, he looks at him with admiration. And what he does next is an astounding act. Look at verse two. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was in him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Number two in your outline friendship is a covenant. From this moment on, we're about to see one of the most impressive friendships between two men in history. Jonathan and David made a covenant of friendship. Something that will save David's life in multiple occasions, but that will show us what a true friend is. Jonathan's name means, God has given. The friend God gave David. He takes his royal robe, his prince's robe, and he gives it to David. Even his armor, his sword, his uh, bow, his belt. I mean, you read this in the context, and in our context, we don't understand. I mean, what's happening here? Why is Jonathan stripping? What's up with that? Well, you know, in the ancient world, clothing was highly valued because it was very scarce. But it was also very pricey. It wasn't like, hey, I need some clothes, I'm going to the mall, and I'm going to get a shirt and some jeans, and I'm off. It wasn't like that. But beyond the clothing and beyond being expensive or scarce, what we're looking at here is the royal robe. The king's firstborn's robe, the heir to the crown. And what he's doing is that he is honoring David. He's giving David his weapons. He's giving David his royal robe. He's saying, David, I I acknowledge you are greater than me. Jonathan was content with not being the next king. He knew that David was to be the next king of Israel. And he wasn't worried in the least. A true friend seeks the well-being of the other person, and he recognizes God's calling on his friend. He helps him, he supports him, he pushes him to reach God's calling on his life. That's why it's so important what we're reading here. You remember, if you if you read Acts chapter eleven, you'll find about Barnabas, who actually he's in Antioch. And he could be the star of Antioch. He could be under the spotlight in Antioch. But rather, he goes to Tarsus and he calls his friend Saul. Because he recognizes that Saul has something from God. And he's not envious about Saul. He's not saying, well, you know, if I bring Saul, he's going to cast a shadow on me. Rather, he goes and brings Saul back to Antioch. And they, they launch together for the missions. But he's recognizing what God's call his friend to do? It's important because we all need friends like this. But you see, we also need to be friends like this. We read these things and we say, "Ah, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a friend like Jonathan? I mean, someone who doesn't think of himself, who's truly willing to leave even his privileges and honor for you. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yes, it's something precious, of course. It's a gift from God, as I said earlier, when you have a friend like that. But what about the other side of the coin? How amazing that you could be that friend who's willing to leave everything behind for your friends. To encourage them, to support them, to walk alongside with them. That's why the Bible tells us a man who wants friend must show himself friendly. The problem is that we swallow the hook, the line, the sinker, believing we don't need anybody. Ha! I don't need friends. I can do things by my own. I'm, I'm well off without friends with anybody and if things don't turn out okay, I'm okay with that. I don't need to be friends with no one. Hmm. Can you imagine what would have been of prophet Elijah without Elisha? What would have been of the apostle Paul without Titus or Timothy or Philemon or Epaphroditus or Tychicus or Luke? I mean, we don't have to go too far away. I was reading with my wife, John chapter 5, and it speaks about an invalid man who's been laying by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. Because from time to time an angel of the Lord would come. He would steer the waters. And whomever came to the water first would be healed. And he's there. He's been there 38 years. And when Jesus comes to that place. And he sees this man who obviously has been there for a long time. He asks the question to him. And he says, would you want to be healed? You see what this man answers Jesus. Just breaks my heart. Listen to what he responds. The sick man answer him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. What a sad picture. This is the picture of someone without friends. This is the picture of someone who is entirely alone. Someone who counts with no one. Not even a person who could come and push him into the pool. What a difference with the paralytic in Mark chapter 2. His four friends carry him to bring him to Jesus. And when the crowd is impossible to go through, they're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to break a roof to bring his friend down at the feet of Jesus. And Mark 2, 5 tells us that when Jesus saw their faith, he then spoke to the paralytic and healed him. You see, number three, friends, are vital. Friends are vital. Can you see how important friends are? A friend will bring you comfort when you are in the midst of great pain or facing a tremendous problem. Like Job's friends that came to him and were sitting next to him in silence for 7 days. As he was going through the most painful thing of having having lost his whole family. A friend will share the joy of your victories, like the parable that Jesus told about this man who found the lost sheep. And then his friends came together and rejoiced because he had found the lost sheep. A friend calls things by their names, and he lovingly rebukes you, just like Ephesians 4:15 tells us, he doesn't sugarcoat things for you." He calls you out, "Come on man, don't play dumb on me, you know what you've done. But He also extends His hand to help you out the hole you dug for yourself. That's why Proverbs 27 reads, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. A true friend spares no expense, prays for you, worries about your problems, defends you, doesn't go around spreading intimate details about your life, but He wants you to be well before everyone else. A true friend is a precious thing. You see, I remember some years ago, the first time I went to the Amazon jungle, uh, I didn't know anybody in the team except for Billy Powell, who was my friend who invited me there. But as I got there, I met this guy from Argentina. And God was linking our hearts in a way that was amazing. We were there for a week. And after that week, we were keeping in touch through Skype and WhatsApp and whatnot. I remember I was going through a, a tough season of decision-making and ministry and, and ask his prayers. And one day he phones me and says, Jorge, I got you a ticket to Los Angeles. That's where he lives. And uh, I'm bringing you over. I'm kidnapping you and I, take no, I, I won't take no for an answer. So I'm, I'm taking you as well to the Shepherd's Conference. I want to hang out with you. So I went there and I spent a wonderful time there. But beyond the conference, just being with a friend. With someone that's not going to be judgmental. That you're open and you're, you're free to, to show him this is who I am. That you're not afraid of sharing your thoughts. That you're not afraid of what they're going to think about you. That you can be who you are. That you are in confidence. Having a friend like that, having a brother like that is priceless. I remember... Uh, Stephen Lawson invited me to take a doctorate of ministry in expositional preaching. And that's so expensive. And this guy had just sold his house because he was downsizing. He was having some financial struggles. And when he heard about this, he says, Jorge, you have to take that. I'll pay half of it. But you must take it because I believe in what God has called you to do. Who does those things? The guy has never been in my house. But he had decided to be my friend. He had decided to love me the way God has loved him. He made a decision to be friend, despite being 20 years older than me. Most of my friends are 20 years older than me. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> you see, God blesses us with good friends. And he blessed David with a great friend that was with him in the darkest days of his life. And I believe this morning God wants... You to know that he has a friend that he has prepared for you. And that he has prepared you to be that friend of the people that he has placed on your path. So number four, you are called to be a friend. Psalm 119 says, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. Are you willing to be the friend God wants you to be? To invest your life in someone else. To open up with someone you see things on the same level. Someone you identify yourself deeply. To open your heart, to expose yourself. To be vulnerable to another child of God that can build you up. And someone that you can build up. Are you willing to do that? For many people the sole idea of... Making yourself vulnerable gives you the creeps. But let me tell you something. No one can do it on their own. No one. Even the Lone Ranger wasn't alone. Remember? He had his friend Tonto. That it would go with him everywhere. Not even the Lone Ranger was alone. We need to learn this huge truth from the Word of God. Let me finish with what David does before such an amazing display of love and friendship and honor. Verse 5 says, David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the man of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. David wasn't puffed up, but he was humble. He was prudent. He was respectful. He obeyed whatever the king said. He went wherever the king sent him, and he behaved honorably. The result, the king appointed him over the man of war, and he received the acceptance of the town and even the king's servants. Because when you do what God has called you to do, you glow. You glow, you reflect God's glory to this world who is in darkness. Listen to Jesus' words in John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. Friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. What an amazing love you have given us. Thank you God for rescuing us. Thank you for giving yourself to us. In sacrificial love. That we will be reconciled with you. That we could come to you. And moreover that we would be adopted into your family. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you Father that you will not reject anyone who comes to you in repentance and faith. We trust you and we thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you.